our verse-by-verse, line-by-line study of the book of First Thessalonians, where we're studying first and second together, has brought us to the quintessential passage on the rapture. It is considered to be the clearest of all of them. You have John 14, verses 1 and 2. Jesus said, I'm going away. And if I go away, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to return and I'm going to receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. There's 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We are not all going to sleep, but some of us are going to be changed in a moment and in a twinkling of an eye. There are other passages, uh, Luke 17, and I'm going to read uh, a little bit from that later on. Luke 17, where it says, two people will be in bed. One will be taken, another left. Two people will will be grinding uh, corn in the field. One will be taken, another left. It gives another instance, a third time, of one being taken and another left. These are all rapture sections. And so the argument that the word rapture is never in the Bible, therefore the rapture doesn't exist, or, or that someone says you could never get the idea of a rapture if you just sit down and read the Bible, is just really not true. Those are unbiblical arguments. Those are logical arguments. They're they're not using a scripture to speak against the rapture. They're just using a logical argument. And it's just not true. Let me me give you a couple of the other arguments that they do against the rapture that just are not true. There's the Darby argument. Out of curiosity, how many have you have heard the Darby argument against the rapture of the church? It's a handful of you, not many. Maybe I shouldn't say anything. Nah, you'll run into somebody sooner or later. So... Uh, Darby lived in 1830. He was a, I'm going to say Baptist preacher. I'm not sure exactly. Um, But there was a girl that had a dream about the rapture. And they say that Darby took it from her. So that has a good story that goes with it. And then Darby brought it to Moody. Moody brought it to Schofield. Schofield made it popular in his Bible. And so the rapture became popular through, through this dream of this girl and Darby. And it sounds a little compelling because it almost sounds, they'll kind of tie it into demonic. She had a demonic dream of the rapture. It was never taught in the Bible before that. Never in, in history was it ever taught before that. The only problem is it was taught before that. It's taught a lot. In fact, I sat down to make a list and I just find there's so many of them. I finally decided I'm not going to make a list and read these names. You really want to search it. You can search it yourself. There, all the way back to 140, there's a reference to being rescued from the tribulation period. 140 years, uh, 140, which is the the beginning of the second century. And then 400, you've got um, uh, 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 a guy called Ephraim, the pseudonym of Ephraim, I think it's called. It was Ephraim writing it, but there's a reference to the rapture of the church there. And then there's guys in the 1400s, 1500s, and 1600s that talk about the rapture of the church. It's just not true. Again, this isn't biblical. It's just a good story. And so if someone is prone to not believe in the rapture of the church, they're like, oh, then it's actually demonic. I get it. When in reality, it's just not true. There's a, there's a couple of other arguments as well. There's the first resurrection argument. That is that the resurrection of the church, the first resurrection is mentioned after the millennium. So a thousand years after the millennium, Uh, the rest of the dead rise. And it says, this is the first resurrection. So if that's the first resurrection, you couldn't have a resurrection. That is the rapture is a resurrection as well. You can't have a resurrection before the tribulation period if you don't have the first resurrection until a thousand years later. And I would agree with you if the word first wasn't used in a couple of different ways. Sometimes it's used to be the first of something. And sometimes it's used to talk about two different events. 
like the first resurrection and the second resurrection. The first resurrection, the Bible says, is the resurrection of the just. The second resurrection is the resurrection of the unjust. You find it in the Old Testament in, in, um, in Daniel chapter 12. Some will be raised to everlasting life and some to everlasting condemnation. And you find these two resurrections mentioned forever. So in other words, the first resurrection starts with Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrection, which the Bible tells us that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. And then all the way to the rapture of the church, to the people after the tribulation period, the, 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 the um, tribulation saints who were slain by the Antichrist and persecution. And then all the way to the people at the end of the millennium, the rest of the dead are finally resurrected. All of that's the first resurrection. And I'm going to go quickly through these. I don't mean to take so much time with them. There's the trumpet argument that there's a trumpet with the rapture. So that must be the seventh trumpet in the book of Revelation. So the rapture doesn't happen until the seventh trumpet. Again, there's, that's just, there's no connection. There, there, there's no argument. There's no reason why they would say, we believe that this trumpet is that trumpet. It's just, this is the way they say it. Well, the trumpet of the resurrection is the seventh trumpet. It's the last trumpet. That's the seventh trumpet in Revelation. So it can't be before that. That's, that's not an argument. You aren't making a connection. There are hundreds of thousands of trumpets. There are a lot of last trumpets. Trumpets were used to gather people together. Every year at the Feast of Trumpets, they blow trumpets and there are last trumpets every year. So you just can't find a last trumpet in a series of trumpets and go, that must be it. I think it's the last trumpet for the, for the Gentiles, the last trumpet for the church. And we are brought up into his presence because the time of the Gentiles is done because Jerusalem is returned back to Israel. Jesus said, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. That's what I think the trumpet is. Um, but you just can't make an argument and say, that's the, tr that's the last trumpet. There's the last trumpet there. They're connected because there's more than one last trumpet. There's the Matthew 24, 29 through 31 argument. This is the Jesus returns. And then he sends out his angels with the trumpet again. And he gathers together the elect from the four corners of the earth. That is a rapture per se, but it's gathering together Israel and the tribulation saints and bringing them back to Jesus on earth. It's not meeting him in the air as we're going to read in just a few minutes. Those are two different events. But when you read the one, you go, well, there, there's where the rapture is. It says that's where it's at. But when you compare the secret return of Jesus to his church in 1 Thessalonians to Matthew 24, 29 through 31, you see easily they're not the same event. There's the, you know, your, your, uh, the Thessalonians believed uh, that Paul told Thessalonians that the Antichrist was going to come first. Argument. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll get there. Not far from now. When you read 2 Thessalonians, you realize that they believed they were in the tribulation period for whatever reason. The persecution of Rome, their own persecution, they believe that. So Paul writes to tell them the restrainer must be taken away first before the, the tribulation period can happen. He's talking about the tribulation period can happen. And the restrainer is the church. It's the Holy Spirit in the church. We're the ones restraining. Who restrains abortion in the world today? It's the church. Who, 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 restrains, who, who restrains divorce in the world? It's the church. Who restrains sin in the world in general? It's the church. We are the restrainer and we will be removed. And then it says, and the Antichrist will come first. In other words, he's telling them, if you were in the tribulation period, the Antichrist would be there. He's not telling them to look for the Antichrist. We're never told to. 
Jesus said, and I'm going to get to that, I guess, but Jesus said, when you see these things happen, look up for your redemption draws nigh. When we see Israel coming back into the land, becoming a nation, Jerusalem uh, coming under Israeli control, the temple will be rebuilt again on the Temple Mount. Because Paul tells us, and we'll see that a little bit later on, that the Antichrist stops sacrifices in the temple and sets himself up as God in the temple. And Jews today, for the first time in 2,000 years, are going to the Temple Mount to pray. That is an unprecedented step forward. Last time I was on Israel and the tension that was on the Temple Mount, if you told me that within a couple of years, Jews are going to be able to go onto the Temple Mount to pray, I would have told you, you're out of your mind. But it's happening today. Our world has sped up. This crisis, the COVID crisis, I think has caused everything to speed up. And we are rapidly moving towards those last days. Um, and so the argument that, that you're looking for the Antichrist, there's the argument that you're leading people astray because you're, you're getting people ready for a rapture. Then when it doesn't happen and they're in the tribulation period, they're like, I hate God. They're going to leave God because you misled them with the rapture teaching. Again, there's no, there's no scripture. This isn't bibli a biblical argument. This is just them saying you're a false teacher because you're leading people astray because you're giving them false hope. And it's like, you got to teach what the word of God says. If I'm, you could make that argument on anything. You can't tell people that they're going to go to heaven because what if, what if they don't? You know, I mean, you can make that argument about anything. It just, these arguments don't, they're not based in scripture and they don't really make a lot of sense. So there are a few more arguments that I won't bring up because I feel like I'm boring you guys at this point. So let's get into the seven, the seven truths about the pre-tribulation rapture. Then we're going to study the passage that talks about the tribulation, Okay. So first of all, the, the, tribu the tribulation period is a time of God's wrath, a time of his indignation, a time of him judging those that dwell on the earth. And it's a time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob had his name changed to Israel. Let me read you Jeremiah 37. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Alas, for the day is great so that none are like it. Jesus said there's a time coming that's unlike anything this world has ever been through and anything this world's ever going to go through. Alas, the time is great and there is none like it. It is a time of Jacob's trouble. Remember, God's going to restore Israel during the tribulation period. They are all going to follow him, Romans chapter 11, at the, when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. It says, um, but he shall be saved out of it. Israel's going to be saved out of it. They'll go into it. They're going, to, they're going to face the difficulties and the struggles of the tribulation period. Many of them are going to die, but as a nation, they're going to come out of it serving God once again. It's not a time of the trouble of the church. It's a time of the trouble of, of, of Jacob. In fact, if you read Daniel chapter 9, it says that God's going to restore them in 70 weeks, and there's one week left, and this is a week of years, and that's the 70th year of Daniel. And it says that God's going to restore Israel within those 70 weeks. And we're still waiting for the 70th week of Daniel. It's going to be restoration of the nation of Israel. It's no mistake that the Bible foretold us that Israel was going to become a nation again. And they are. That they would be reborn again in a day. And they are. That they would take Jerusalem. And they have. That the temple's going to be rebuilt on, on, on the Temple Mount. And we're making progress towards that. These, these are all having to do with the nation of Israel. God's getting ready 
to bring them back to fulfill his promises to the nation of Israel. The second truth about the pre-tribulation rapture is that it's a time of God's wrath and indignation. Uh, first of all, in Zephaniah 1, 15 through 17, it says, the day is a day of God's wrath, a day of distress, a day of devastation, of desolation, a day of darkness, a day of gloominess, a day of clouds, of thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities, against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Why is God bringing all this on the world? Because they sinned against God. The church has things right with God. And God deals with sin within the church, but God's not going to judge us the way he's going to judge the world. The world's being judged for their sin. It goes on to say, um, because they have sinned against the Lord, their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh shall uh, be like refuge. Their blood will be poured out, not our blood, not the church. And I'm not saying that we're not going to have difficulties and tribulation and persecution because Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation. We know we're going to have persecution. I'm not saying there's not going to be difficulties and hard times. I'm saying we're not going to receive God's wrath. And from the time the tribulation starts, it's the Lamb of God tearing the first seal. Until the final bull is poured out, every bit of that is God's wrath from us. When people say that the first part of it isn't wrath, have you read the first part of the tribulation period? It gets more intense and it gets to a great wrath, but the whole thing is the wrath of God. Number three, God's wrath, this is notes hastily written out, God's wrath is poured out on those who dwell on the earth. We know that the tribulation period is the time of God's wrath. It's the time of God's indignation. By the way, it says that over and over again. And God's wrath is poured out upon earth dwellers. You and I are not supposed to be part of this earth. We're pilgrims. We're passing through. We don't dwell on this earth. And so in Isaiah 26, 21, it says, Come, my people, enter into your chambers and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a moment until the indignation is passed. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. Again, it's, it's clear. The wrath is poured out upon those who dwell on the earth. The fourth is that we have been promised that we are going to be kept from it. We have a promise in Scripture that we will be kept from the tribulation period. And that's in Revelation 3.10, where it says, because you have kept my command to persevere, this is to the faithful church, uh, Philadelphia, who faithfully served and followed God. And he said, because you've kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. He doesn't say, I'm going to keep you through it. So some people say, well, that just means that we're going to be kept through it. We're going to go into the tribulation period. All authority is given to the Antichrist over the saints, Revelation says. If that means us, then you are not going to be protected through it. There, the Bible says at the end of the tribulation period that flesh is rare. The people who 
become tribulation saints and the nation of Israel who are not following Christ now, their Messiah, Jesus, but will receive him later, will pay the price of being given over to the Antichrist during the tribulation period. That's not us. Again, God's not mad at us. God's not, we're, we're not part of this world. They are right now. And even though they come to Christ after they become, when they're in the tribulation period, there's not a bunch of little raptures that happen every time somebody gets saved. Once you're in the tribulation period, you're in it for the long haul. And, and that probably means that you're gonna face difficulty and death during that time. But um, we've been promised that we won't do it. And it goes, it says to test those who dwell on the earth. The end of Revelation 3.10. Let me read the whole thing again because I realize you guys aren't getting it up on your screen. Or are they? No? Okay. I thought, oh, really? Did it? Okay. Uh, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Again, it's not us. It's those that dwell on the earth. That's why we're kept from that hour of trial that's going to come upon the earth. Number five, we've been told to pray to escape these things. Why would God tell us to pray to escape if we can't escape? Why would he tell us? So he's, it's in Luke 21. He's teaching on the tribulation period. He talks about a lot of things that happen, but he doesn't talk about everything. There's meteors that hit the earth and kill like a third of the earth. I don't remember the numbers exactly. That's why I say like a third. Might be a fourth, a third. Uh, the, the water turns to blood, kills another third. Uh, there's an earthquake that kills a bunch of people. The sun scorches the earth and a bunch of people die. Another percentage of the earth die. It's just all of these people are dying during that time. And, and here's what it says. And then Jesus says, but you. Now turning to his disciples. He says in, in Luke 21, 34 through 36. But take heed to yourself. This is in the context of the tribulation period. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. The word for carousing there could be looking for sex. You be careful that your heart isn't caught up in carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, that that day come upon you unexpectedly. We're told in, the, in, in I think, it's 2 Thessalonians, that day won't come upon you unexpectedly. It comes like a thief in the night, but not to the church because we're ready. We're waiting for him to return. It comes upon them unexpectedly, but you got to be careful and pray that that day doesn't come upon you unexpectedly for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. There it is again. It's on those dwelling on the earth that this tribulation period is coming. Earth dwellers, we are not earth dwellers. We are pilgrims. We're sojourners. We're passing through. We're like Abraham. It goes on to say, watch therefore. This is Jesus' advice to us. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. Why would he tell you that if you can't escape it? It's in the context of the tribulation period. Just kidding. You can't really escape. Well, maybe you could escape by dying early. He's not saying any of that. He's saying, pray that you would be counted worthy to escape all of these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. That's the, the end of the, the statement. And to stand before the Son of Man. Pray that you would be counted worthy to escape all these things and stand before the Son of Man. How are you going to stand before the Son of Man? Because we will be caught up to meet him in the air and we will stand before the Son of Man. The sixth truth is that there are types, typology, of the rapture in the Bible. The flood is a type of the rapture. 
Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah is a type of the rapture. They're destroyed and people are saved out of it. Now, I'm not the one coming up with this. Jesus is. Listen to him in Luke 17, verse 26. Out of all the studies that I should have had up on the, the screen, right? Uh, verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah. So Jesus says the return, his return, this is in the context of his return again. It's going to be like the days of Noah. So it will be in the days of the Son of Man. There's your, there's your typology. As it was in Noah's days, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. Two things there. Number one, if it's the end of the tribulation period, are they going to be doing these things? At the end of the tribulation period, so, some pastor said you're going to be going to 11 funerals a day. You're going to be hiding. You're going to be barely surviving by the end of the tribulation period. When you read, Revel read the tribulation period in Revelation and then think of this in the last days. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. Those things aren't going to be, marriage isn't going to be continuing on at that point. People will be hiding and barely surviving at that point. And then it says, until the day he went into the ark, then destruction came. Same thing with Lot, until the day he left and then destruction came. So it is in the Son of Man. The day we're taken away, then destruction comes. Listen to what he goes on to say. Um, until the day that Noah entered the ark and flood came and destroyed them all. Now, there's this argument out there that the, the one taken and the one left, the one taken is the one destroyed and the one left is the Christian. There's this argument that they try to use. And I, I've even heard some Calvary Chapel guys begin to teach this. It's not what it says. It says they're destroyed. The one taken is Noah. The one taken is Lot. The ones taken is us to meet the Lord in the air. And then the ones destroyed are the ones that are left on the earth. Again, I'll just let it stand as that. Um, I'd like to harp on it for a while. Uh, and then it says, uh, likewise, also in the days of Lot. So now Lot is a type of the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, like, uh, but on the day Lot went out of Sodom. Okay, let's go back. Likewise, uh, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. And on the day Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. You couldn't have a more compare, a better comparison to the church being raptured and then the destruction coming after it. It's the clearest typology there is. Even so it will be when the Son of Man is revealed. So he says twice, it's going to be like this when the Son of Man is revealed. I tell you, now in this context, he says, in the night there will be two men, one in, um, one in, the, in that night there will be two men in one bed, one will be taken and the other one left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken and the other one left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other one left. And I, and I do think that this picture is the global aspect. The people are sleeping and people are working. That it happens at one particular point in time and one is taken and the other one is left. This is, hey, people say, well, you couldn't get the rapture if you're reading it. R really? In the light of his return? In the context of his return, one's taken and one's left behind. You wouldn't connect that to 1 Corinthians 15. You wouldn't connect that to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. 
I, I not only think you would, I think it did, by the way. I think it made that connection. So then we have our seventh, and then we're going to get into our text. So the seventh is that Jesus could return at any moment. It can't be the middle of the tribulation period because Jesus would have said, when this all starts happening, then look up. Can't be the end of the tribulation period because he would have said, you know, if you survive, then look up, your redemption draws nigh. Instead, it was be ready. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 12, 39 through 40. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect him. And this is said over and over again. Be ready because you don't know when I'm returning. I'm returning in time you don't know. Be ready. It's a wicked servant that says my father, my, my master delays and they're not ready. We need to watch, pray that we could escape. We need to be ready because Jesus could come back at any moment. And if, if he was trying to tell us, you know, I, I just think if he would have come back in the middle or the end of the tribulation period, he would have told us, you know, hang on, going to be a rough ride. You know, he would have let us know something. But instead he says, be ready now. If he's coming back at the end of the tribulation period, why do you have to be ready now? You have to be ready now because he could show up at any moment. That's one of the strongest positions for the pre-tribulation rapture, that you have to be ready at any moment. And in Luke 21, 28, if you're taking notes, is the passage I've been quoting where Jesus says, now when these things begin to happen, he's talking about the nation of Israel. That's the context here. So when Israel becomes a nation, when Jerusalem is taken back by them, when these things begin to happen, they started happening in 1948. He says, lift up your heads. Your redemption draws near. He doesn't say, look around, figure out who the Antichrist is because you're going to have to avoid that guy. He doesn't ever give us any encouragement as a church of how we would face those last days but instead tells us that we will be saved out of them. So let's get into our text. So here we have the clearest teaching of the resurrection. And it's because the Thessalonians, and this is the earliest book written, and the Thessalonians were worried about people that had died. They, they, they'd lost people since they became Christians. They lost people because they became Christians. They were under great persecution. And so they were worried about people that had died. They missed it. Can't believe they missed it. And remember, in Judaism, there's these group of people, the Sadducees, who don't believe that there's a resurrection. Who knows what kind of beliefs these Romans had, the Thessalonians. But for whatever reason, they just thought, you know, my wife died, and now what? She's, she missed the, the kingdom. And so Paul says to them in verse 13, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. And by sleep here, he means die. And that becomes evident here in a moment. He's going to call them dead in a minute. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Why are they sorrowing? Because they don't think they're going to see him again. They don't think they're going to see him in the kingdom. They think they missed it somehow. They just don't have the understanding you and I have. We know if someone dies to be absent in the body is to be present with God. They just don't have that. They're coming out of this Roman culture. They've come to Christ. They don't know those things. So he's teaching them. He says, you're grieving like someone who doesn't have any hope. Your, your wife died. Your your son died and you think I'll never see them again, but you will. Your grief is different. He says, lest you grieve as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So when he returns, he's going to bring their souls or their spirits, their consciousness with their spirits with him. Is there some kind of an intermediate body right now that they're in? Maybe. I don't know. Paul talks about not being further housed in a temporary house. And maybe there's a temporary home that you get when you die and you go into what theologians call the intermediate state. It's from the time that you die now until Jesus returns. What are you going to be? A spirit floating around? Maybe. Will you have a temporary body? Most believe that. There'll be some kind of a temporary body that you will have that you just won't be a spirit floating around. But he's going to bring those people with him. And then it says, For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel. Michael, the archangel, right? And he's going to shout. We know from 1 Corinthians 15, this is in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. They say that that's ten thousandths of a second. I don't know how they know that. Maybe they do. I'm just saying they just say it's ten thousandths of a second. So a second is about one one thousand. If you count to two, like one one thousand, two one thousand, that's a second. And a thousand, ten thousandths of a second, twinkling of an eye. So the, the archangel is going to shout the voice of the, and with the trumpet of God. And again, we don't know what this trumpet is. This is the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And there's where it calls the asleep, the people who are asleep dead. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. So the first thing that's going to happen is that there's going to be a resurrection. When you go to a funeral, they bury Christians with their head facing to the west. So that when Jesus comes from the east, the person will rise right up out of the grave. Now, I don't think they're doing that superstitiously. Like if their head's pointed east, their feet are going to come out first. We better help them make sure their head comes out first. You could bury them anyway if you want to. But the next time you're walking through a cemetery, just look at the direction they're faced. They're laying down and they're facing east in expectation of the return of Jesus Christ. And as a pastor, you stand on the west side. And, and, and usually can talk about that. That gives you an opportunity to talk about the return of Jesus, that this Christian is now waiting for the Lord to return. And we do this as a tradition that's been handed down through the centuries in waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. And so the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And look at the word caught up. That's the word harpazo. That's the word that, that has been translated originally in the New King James Bible as rapture. That's where we get it from. Personally, I don't like the word because I don't, you know, I, it, it fits okay, but I like the gathering better. Or, or, or the Bible talks about, yeah, the Bible talks about our gathering together with him when it comes to, to the return of Jesus for his church, our gathering to him. I, I like the gathering. But it's, it's, it's a snatching away. This word means to be snatched away, to be quickly taken. It's like somebody runs in, grabs you, and goes back out. You've been harpazoed. And they don't use it like that. They wouldn't use it that way. But you get my point, I hope. So, um, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together 
with them in the clouds. These are the dead. So there's a resurrection that happens and then we're caught up. And we know from 1 Thessalonians 15 that we're changed and this mortal puts on immortality. This corruption puts on incorruptible. And I don't know what happens when we're caught up. I, um, Tim LaHaye had our clothes being left behind, right? So the people would walk around and look at a pile of clothes. There's Robert's clothes. <laughs> I couldn't make something about clean underwear, but... Uh, I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't know if we'll be translated in our clothes. I don't know if our clothes will be left behind. I don't know if clothes will fall from the sky. I don't know what's going to happen. I guess you can use your imagination any way that you want to. But two things have to happen. The dead in Christ rise first. This is everyone who has died up to this point. This is Old Testament saints. This is New Testament saints. They are united together with their body in Jesus Christ because everybody's saved in Christ. It'll be quite a moment. And then we who are alive and remain, which will be hundreds of millions of people on the earth that will be caught up to be with the Lord. I don't know what this is going to, I don't know what people are going to say about our disappearance. I think that some people will say, especially now, and we've said this for years, but it makes more sense now, aliens got them. Right? They've been documenting all these aliens. There are going to be people who say evolution got them. These Christians have been holding back progress forever. We're restraining is what we're doing. But to them, it's holding back progress. And so the universe, the, the, the Mother Earth took them. Just look who's gone. It's them Christians. Right? And we're being demonized today. We're being propagandized today. There's a whole group of people who are not only propagandizing Christians, but propagandizing the right. I'm talking politics now, I don't like to, but they're propagandizing the right. Before Germany would send Jewish people to the camps to be gassed, they turned them into cartoons. They propagandized them. They slandered them. They made them subhuman. That's what you do to a group of people you want to get rid of. And they, they had the propaganda, it would be better off if they weren't alive. It'd be better off if they were dead. Know what it sounds to me today? It sounds like abortion. It sounds like people saying, this unwanted baby is going to have such a bad life and probably die. So your solution to a bad life and dying is killing it while it's in the womb. That's your solution, is never giving it a chance of life. And it's even worse than that, because out of the possibility that some unwanted babies, because some, some of you were unwanted and you're living a very productive life. So it's only some unwanted babies that are going to have a horrible life and live a nightmare and then die. You want to kill a bunch of them. If there's any unwanted baby, let's take them while they're in the womb. Because the, some of them might have a horrible life. It's the same thing. They're, we're propagandizing, you know, my body, my life. My body, my choice. Well, until you realize it's a different body. You can say that until the forceps go around the head of a baby, another body, and tear it apart. That's not your body. It's another body. Propaganda is good. Propaganda is good to get people thinking different ways, to get them out of what really is taking place. And Christians are being propagandized. And when we're gone, I think they're just going to go, yeah, I'm glad they're gone. Good riddance to you guys. I think they'll be really happy we're gone. And we'll be really happy we're gone. 
because of what this earth is about to go through. And if we understand, why does God judge this world? He judges it because of his anger, because of all the blood that was shed, because of all the innocents that are shed. I've said it so many times, and I, I, do, I mean it, abortion is the issue of our day. They're killing babies in the womb. And, and they can lie to you. They, they can tell you it's not happening after a certain point. Third trimester, abortions aren't happening. Yes, they are. Don't believe the lies. They're happening. They're not only happening in the United States, they're happening in other countries. And I think that we should continue to stand up and fight for the innocent. And I think that this is why the wrath of God will be poured down upon this world. On this very topic, Billy Graham said, if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord destroyed the earth because of the violence that was on the earth before the flood. It was the violence. The most, the most vulnerable among us today is the most at risk. Now here I realize as I talk about it that there are some here that have had connections to abortions, some women that have had abortions, some men that have encouraged people to have abortions. And I want you to know that God's forgiveness is available. It doesn't change what it is. You just can't say, well, it was, a, it was cells, not a person. It doesn't change what it is, but there is forgiveness, complete and total. And I hope that talking about it doesn't make you feel too uncomfortable, but maybe you realize more than anyone that it should be talked about because babies need to be saved. They need to be rescued. And so he'll come back and we will be, who are alive and remain, will meet the Lord in the air. Now there's no other way you can say this. People who say, well, there's no rapture in the Bible. What are you going to do with this? What does it mean you're going to meet the Lord in the air? Are you going to make that into a metaphor? You're going to say, well, it means Jesus comes back and we join him in spirit, not in body. We still walk around in the air. I don't know what you would say. People do it. By far, the majority of premillennial Christians believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. The post-trib, the mid-trib is a minority, posi minority positions. Now, just because something's a minority position doesn't make it wrong. There can be minority positions that are correct. I'm just pointing out that many good Bible teachers believe in the preacher rapture. So when, when people leave me messages and say, you know, you're one of the idiots that believe in this. Yeah, and so was John MacArthur and David Jeremiah and Alistair Begg, and we can just go down the list because it's clearly taught in Scripture. It goes on to say, and thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. If I'm going to comfort you with these words, let me give you, let me try, try this on you. The rapture's going to be after the tribulation. You're going to go through the tribulation. You're going to suffer, perhaps die at the hands of the Antichrist. You're going to dodge hailstones. There's scorpions. Don't get stung by one of those things. You'll want to die and can't. Do you feel comforted? Are you like, that's so comforting? Ooh. Comfort one another with these words. This is going to happen at the end of the trip. No. How about the worst time is coming that this world will ever see. God's about to pour his wrath down upon mankind because man is rebellious against God, because man is murderous at heart, and God's going to judge this world, and God's not going to judge us with it. We're going to be taken out before. God's going to take us out because his wrath will not be poured out upon the church. And you're going to, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. 
You're going to meet him in the air. How about that? Is that better? Comfort one another with these words. The other is, I mean, just to be as frank as I can, is just ridiculous. You're going to comfort somebody by saying, just hang on, the rapture's coming at the end of the tribulation period. It just is going to be before the tribulation period. And we are to look up because our Lord could come back and get us at any moment. And this is a hope that we should believe. One of the, the Bible tells us in the last days, scoffers are going to arise saying, where is the promise of his coming? There are scoffers all over the place making fun of us because we believe this. That's a sign that we're living in the last days and that this is about to happen. All right, stand up with me, would you? Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage. And as we consider these seven truths about the pre-tribulation rapture, knowing that you take us out before, we are waiting for you. And when we see Israel as a nation, we look up and we are waiting for your return. We thank you for all that you're doing. We pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal your truth to us about these and help us to live our lives in a way that we are not taken advantage of like a, like a thief coming in the middle of the night, that we would be ready, that we wouldn't be those who you come unexpectedly to, but we would be waiting for you. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, your eyes closed for just a couple of minutes. And, and if you're here today and you have never received Jesus, Jesus said you must be born again. He was born of the flesh is flesh and he was born of the spirit is spirit. You have to receive him, John 1, 12. As many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. And then you will be transformed, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone's in Christ, he becomes a new creation. Old things pass away. The old everything becomes new. And this could be your day of glory. The day that God knew before the foundations of the world that you would raise your hand, that you would say to him, yes, I want you in my life. The Bible says he knocks you open the Bible says he draws and you receive. So is he drawing you today? Then you can respond and invite him in. I'm going to ask you to do something simple. You want to invite Christ in? Just raise your hand. Lift your hand up now. Lift it up high so I can see it. I want to take time to acknowledge your hand. And I want to pray with you. If you're online, you can respond as well. Just respond before God. He sees you. I'm going to scan the room one more time. Just raise your hand. If you're listening on Reach Radio, the same thing. This is a live service. We're giving people a chance to get saved. Want to give your life to Christ? Then raise your hand. Or just acknowledge Him. Okay, so for the sake of those who are on the radio and those who are online who may have responded, I'm going to ask everybody, including those that gave their lives to Christ, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned. And I know my sin has separated me from you. I also understand I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life. Turn from my sin that I can live for you in the name of Jesus. Amen.